Hello and welcome into episode number four of The Sitch with Grant Mitchell. I am joined today, ladies and gentlemen, by a very special guest, my good friend. We met in college and here we are today doing our first show together, Josh Fox. Josh, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Grant. Thank you for having me. Thank you for finally letting me on. <laughs> yes, sir. Now, Josh has been an avid supporter, but more than that, he has been an avid creator for a while. He wanted to start a podcast with me a long time ago. I said, I'm sorry, Josh, I'm too busy with work. And then I started a work podcast on my own, and he still hasn't forgiven me for that one. So I owed it to him today. And who knows, if we get some good comments, maybe we can bring him back in the future. Thumbs up in the chat if I should take over. <laughs> okay it's the sitch with grant mitchell you you'd have to come up with a new name and i don't think we can do that for the sake of the branding but what we can do josh is we can talk about the big news today russell westbrook is going to the los angeles clippers he is staying in los angeles he's seeking revenge on lebron anthony davis everybody genie bus the lakers he wants to knock them out of the playoffs from their home city Granted, it's from the basement because we know the Lakers run that arena. But Josh, first things first here. What do you think? Were you surprised when Russ decided to go to the Clippers? I mean, we knew he wasn't going to stay with the Utah Jazz. But did you ever think he was going to end up playing for the Clippers? Granted, he grew up a Lakers fan and just played for the Lakers. Um, it doesn't really surprise me too much that he went there. It surprised me more that they wanted him more so than him wanting to go there. He was already in LA and with him being a later as player in the later stages of his career, it doesn't surprise me too much that he isn't going to want to do too much moving around. So him wanting to stay close by to where his family was just moved to makes sense. Um, and the Clippers obviously playing in the exact same stadium. I think again, like I just mentioned in the beginning, the more surprising part to me is the Clippers actually wanting him, but I also don't think that that's, too big of a threat. I'm not really sure how they plan on utilizing him too much, but I mean, yeah, that that my my, my priority opinion upon it is probably just mainly that I guess I, I don't know. I, I he he maybe is going to play more of a role position. I'm not too sure, especially after all of the flack that he's gotten over his performance at the Lakers. Um, I'm not really sure how they plan on using him, but I guess they have a plan for it. So this is my takeaway from it. First things first, I think Paul George was instrumental in getting there, getting him there. We heard reports that he was being vocal about it during this whole sort of last week, the process of is Russ getting bought out, and if so, where does he go? We know that the two of them played very well together when they're in Oklahoma City. Paul George, if you remember, was a top three MVP candidate during that run. Some people were saying he was playing like the best player in basketball. Not that he was the best, but he was playing like it. So we know they have some good chemistry there. I'm sort of with you, though. I think this is a bit of a mystery to me because the way I look at it, the Western Conference is right open. And the Clippers have been all about dysfunction. They've lacked continuity pretty much ever since Kawhi and PG showed up. Now, Kawhi obviously missed the entire last season. He was supposed to be back for the start of this season, was out for a couple of months. We know Kawhi is going to do his load management, but even this one just seemed a little weird in how it was going on. And when he was playing, he was playing pretty poorly. All of a sudden, he comes back and he looks awesome. Paul George is giving you his usual 22 a night. I don't know what his exact numbers are, but you can pencil him in for somewhere around 22, 7, and 5, about 38% from the three-point line. You have all this going for you, and for the first time in how many years, you have a legitimate chance to win this Western Conference. Not like when you first came to town and Kawhi was saying he's the new sheriff in his New Balance commercials. We knew that was never going to happen. But again, the West is so wide open, and you finally have the continuity that you were lacking all this time. And not only do you shake it up, 
you get rid of John Wall, you get rid of, of Reggie Jackson, you bring in Eric Gordon and these other guys, Plumlee, but then you go out and you get Russell Westbrook. It's He's such a divisive player within a team, even if you love the guy. Let's just look at his basketball fit with not only this team, but any team. But we'll talk about just this team. If you start him, you're going to put him alongside Kawhi and Paul George. Obviously, you're going to have a center. Presumably, it's Zubats. Who knows? Maybe they start Plumlee. I would leave Zubats in there. And then you've got Marcus Morris. You've got Covington. You can take your pick. If you want to go small, you can put Terrence Mann in there. Russ is the primary initiator of the offense. We know is very inefficient. He's leading the league in turnovers per 36 minutes. He's, he's at four and a half a game. And keep in mind, his usage rate is quite down from years past. So if that usage rate goes up, the turnovers are going to go up. Okay, so you take him off the ball. Now you're going to have him sit in the corner. He's shooting 29% from three. That's the second worst in the entire league. Only Paolo Bancaro is shooting worse. And if you want to bring him off the bench... First of all, that's probably where he belongs at this stage of his, of his career. And he did accept it to the point that he was coming off of the bench. But I don't think he ever mentally accepted it. You would see when he would come in later in the four, first quarter than he was used to. Or when he get, wouldn't get put in the fourth quarter in the big min minutes. He would pout. He would put his head down and sit at the end of the bench. He wouldn't be dapping up his teammates after the game. Or when they lost, if he played, he would be smiling because he got to play even though he lost. When they were warming up and hyping each other up before the game in the huddle, he would be off to the side doing his own thing. So it's really a damned if you do, damned if you don't times three. You start and put him on the ball, it's not going to work. You start and put him off the ball, it's not going to work. You bring him off the bench, it's not going to work. I just don't understand why the Clippers would make this move when they are finally on the verge of a championship or at least a championship run. Yeah, I really don't understand it myself either. Like you mentioned yourself, the, the turnovers have to be the biggest problem for us. And it's, yeah, you can have this amazing stat line earlier in his career, but I think that a lot of people were just looking over at what rate was it coming? How is the efficiency? And when you were having a solo act for a little bit in um, OKC and the storyline was, you know, kind of what was me, poor Russ, look at what he's doing in OKC. KD left him, you know, and he's averaging a triple-double. He didn't deserve it. You know, that's something that's slightly more overlookable. Now when you're in the limelight, and of course playing with LeBron James does that to you, as we've seen a lot of his guards have struggled with, you know, having a kind of microscope on them 24-7. Russ, of course, it seems like has suffered the biggest blow to his career from it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just you, you see the turnovers constantly, and I don't understand really what the Clippers want to get out of him. I mean, he's he hustles, and he's consistent when he is in if you give him the minutes he likes. But then, like you said, there's all these caveats with it. The second you take him out in the fourth quarter when you don't want to, he was there were reports of him going off before the game even ends and, you know, biking in the tunnel. And it's like even if he had the opportunity to come back in the game, he'd be in the tunnel biking. It's And so it's just, it's not healthy for a culture for the team. I don't think that the Clippers seem like they have necessarily the most camaraderie and healthy team culture. Anyway, it's, it, it, it isn't as bad and it didn't go South as quickly, but it was, you know, kind of another one of those Brooklyn Nets esque slap together, these stars and it's supposed to work right away and hasn't yet. Um, and so I don't really see how slapping in another star that probably isn't going to contribute as much as his name brings to the table in, in worth. I don't really see how that's going to mend the situation, especially not when Kawhi's sitting out half the time anyway. Again, I guess maybe the thought is in the later half of the season, if Kawhi's going to be resting so much, then you have somebody else who's experienced on the floor to run with PG. But I, I, I don't really – that's the only even figment of an argument I can make for it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good point. One thing that I also really am confused by is you got rid of Reggie Jackson. 
And a lot of people are quick to forget this, but in the last playoffs, he was the go-to guy. Even when Paul George was there, they were giving the ball to Reggie Jackson in the big moments. He scored 17.8, basically 18 points a night during those playoffs last year. He was giving you about three rebounds, three and a half assists. That's not amazing, but it's serviceable. Shooting 41% from three 48% from the field, 89% from the line. He was crucial in that Jazz series. He was awesome in those playoffs, and you let him go because you want a true point guard. Not that Russ is a true point guard, but he fits the mold a little bit more because he can distribute. Here's what I would say to you. Russell Westbrook and John Wall are not totally dissimilar players. Now, Russ is better than John Wall right now. He, he was early in his career. He still is at this stage in his career. But if you look at their per 36 numbers and their efficiency ratings, they're really not that different. By the per, by the per 36, Russ is averaging one more point per game and one more assist per game. Okay, yeah, Russ outshines him in rebounding, but is a point guard's job really to rebound? Now let's go to the shooting splits. Russ is shooting 42% from the field, Wall is 40. Russ is 29% from three, Wall is 30. Russ is 66% from the line, Wall is 68%. They're really not they're totally different. Like you can look at their names and you can just watch how maybe how they command more respect on the ball, but their game numbers actually line up pretty closely with one another. So you let this guy who was so important for you in the big moments and provided a lot of scoring go, and then you swap out wall for Westbrook when they are really not that much different from one another. And here's another part you're bringing in Russ. Now bones Highland doesn't get to play. What was the point? of making that trade for him, for him to be your backup point guard and bring some of those Reggie Jackson qualities, a point guard who can find his own shot off the bench and he can heat up in a minute when you're just going to give them to Russ now. Are you going to play Bones and Russ in the same backcourt? I don't see how that's going to work. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm personally I'm not the fam most familiar with Bones Highlands game, but <laughs> just to be perfectly honest. But I mean, I do know that uh, Terrence Mann is a pretty consistent player, too. And while he hasn't gotten the most playtime due to Reggie Jackson, obviously having a starting position before, I think right now, currently, he's averaging still under a turnover a game with the minutes he was getting off the bench, which is some decent minutes. And I don't necessarily see why, again, it's you have two supposed superstars, and then you also have Markeith Morris, which is a power forward who can go and score points. He is supposed to be a scoring power forward, even though he is also known as a lockdown defender. He can shoot the three ball. And then you have Zubach. Between that much firepower already in your starting lineup, I don't think that it's out of the question to maybe see how Terrence Mann does and let him run with that squad for a little bit and see how it works out before you do anything too crazy. Because, again, like you just said, you already have a Russell Westbrook-esque player on your squad in John Wall. You already have a score in Reggie Bullock, and you have that Bones Highland trade where, like you said, if he's more of a Reggie Bullock-esque player that can create his own shot, well, then what are you looking for for Russ? It's certainly not ball protection and consistency. It's And if it's not getting your own you know, scoring, which isn't by shooting for him, it's driving to the lane, but just in general, if it's not being a scoring threat, then what exactly is it? And I would argue you don't even need another scoring threat with the way that their team's set up already. So I just think it's probably a stupid move all around. They're going to probably regret it as most teams that have dealt with Russ have, but <laughs> as of late anyway, but we'll see how everything turns out. Maybe it could, it could be a turnaround story. Who knows? <laughs> it's sad to see too, because a lot of people are casting shame on Russ's career. And we used to be Russ defenders back when we were in college. Like we used to support this guy because he was so fun to watch and he was doing so much. It's just at this stage in his career, he's proven that he can't, he's proved in his prime that he couldn't win a championship. And now people are still counting on him 
to be somebody who can help you win a championship when he's even worse than he was. And the qualities of his game that made him so good are starting to fade. Like the athleticism, the touch around the rim. He used to have a phenomenal mid-range. Now it's terrible. He used to shoot 85% on free throws. Now you're lucky if you get to 68% with him. I just don't think it's going to work out. One team in L.A. that we just talked about, another team in L.A. is also looking to turn it around and work it out. The Los Angeles Lakers. Now LeBron injured his hand in the All-Star game. He's probably going to be fine. He said that the upcoming 23 games are 23 of the most important regular season games of his entire career. He's already said, or at least there have been reports, that he is frustrated with Anthony Davis and he's trying to hold him accountable. Maybe him saying these 23 games are so important was extra motivation for AD, especially now that they got the new look roster. What do you think they can do with D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Mo Bamba? They are five games under right up. They're five games under 500 right now. Do you think they can actually get into the playoffs? And if so, cause some noise. Um, the way I kind of view it is too little, too late to be 100% honest with you. I mean, I, I like the moves. I really genuinely like the moves. But the way the thing that I just keep harping back on is we went into the season knowing Russ was our starting point guard. We went through the whole offseason knowing Russ was our starting point guard and chose that as, you know, our viable option. And so with with that being the case, I, I can't really feel too too much sympathy for the Lakers front office. I mean, again, it, it wasn't the right move and was it a good move? Yeah, but I mean, just continuously, in my opinion, honestly, it's just been wrong move after wrong move um, since the AD trade. I mean, it's just they're trading. They've traded away all their youth. Everybody who's ended up developing into a good player, even down to the one that it seemed they kept being Thomas Bryant, they still just gave away. It's just and I mean, yeah, they again, that was a good trade for them, but it, it's like the one person you could argue they shouldn't have traded almost that can still has room to develop and is still a little young. And it's just I, I don't understand it necessarily myself. Again, you traded away what for and then you have Mo Bamba. Mo Bamba, I don't think anybody's necessarily planning on him being a big man scoring threat in the league or a dominant the next dominant big man of the league, if at all. Um in terms of a paint presence, he is non-existent. He somehow has less of a presence than Bol Bol, who weighs 14 pounds. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, you have Jared Vanderbilt. Cool. I, yeah. <laughs> Speaks for itself. And then, I mean, it, it, it's almost not even worth saying. I mean, it's almost like the, it's, it, it's, I almost want to say they're more showtime now because of the meme of the fact that Malik Beasley is on the team with Scottie Pippen Jr. If you know about that, then you know about that. <laughs> And oh it, my gosh! It, I think the whole thing's turning into a show. I mean, really though, it's 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 between the Russell Westbrook whole tirade of like it just doesn't seem like the goal is to actually win basketball games. It seems like it actually might be to be just entertaining at this point. Listen, I do think they are going to get better. I'm with you. Mo Bamba is not going to make your playoff eight man rotation. Maybe you can squeak him in nine, give him ten minutes a night, but he's really not going to be somebody you're looking to in the playoffs. I will defend Jared Vanderbilt. He's a very good defender. He's given him a lot of energy. He's young, got a long wingspan, makes him versatile, something the Lakers don't have on the perimeter. So I will give him a little bit of credit there for that. But I think you're right that the Lakers, really, they just want to be the center of attention. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean the players. LeBron's a bit of an attention seeker, but we know deep down he still wants to win championships. AD, even though he can't stay healthy, he wants to win championships. The front office is where I think the whole poop show is, for lack of a better term. You had the trade offer on the table at the start of the year to get Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. And look, I think the Lakers absolutely won the recent trade when they got D'Lo, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. But if you could have those three, or you could have Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, 
I would pick Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. And no disrespect to those three. And maybe you could make the argument that now they have three guys in their rotation instead of just two. Sure, I guess when you look at it from that perspective, maybe it's slightly more valuable. But Buddy Heald is one of the best shooters in the NBA, maybe the best shooter in the NBA, not named Steph Curry or Damian Lillard. Miles Turner can shoot high 30% from three and lead the league in blocks on his day. You don't have to run plays for him to give you 15 points, and he can explode for 40. I feel like they just missed their opportunity. And from that point on, it just became this whole, again, the poop show of we're going to keep Russ. We're not trading Russ. Okay, now we're frustrated with Russ. We're going to start Russ. Now we're going to bench him. Now we're going to now we're gonna take him out in the fourth quarter. Now he's pouting. Now LeBron's out injured. Now Anthony Davis is out injured. They are in Los Angeles, and I understand that part of that means you're going to be in the headlines all the time, but you don't have to manufacture them like you said. So what do I think about their chances of actually getting into the playoffs? I'm not as pessimistic as you are. They're only a half game out of the 10 seed, which, as we know, is the final spot to get into the play-in tournament. Do I think they can close a half-game gap on the Oklahoma City Thunder? I do. Golden State Warriors, by the way, sneakily at risk of mix, mix, missing the playoffs. They are only one game above the 11th place Utah Jazz, and the Warriors are also 7-22 and 22 on the road. Don't let them have some road games coming up because then they could very easily fall out. But if the Lakers do get into the play-in, they're probably going to make it into the playoffs. I would have them beating the Thunder or the Jazz or whoever it is in that first game of the play-in if they don't get the 7-8 seed. And then I think they could also beat the Pelicans or the Timberwolves. That would put them in an interesting scenario where they play either the Denver Nuggets or the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round, assuming that those standings hold. Maybe the Suns make a charge. Maybe the Clippers make a charge. Who knows? But as it stands, it would be the Nuggets or the Grizzlies. And I do think the Lakers could give both of those teams trouble. And I've talked a lot about Jokic and the Nuggets in previous episodes, so I won't bore the viewers with that. But the Grizzlies are starting to fall apart. People aren't really talking about that. As we know, that team is young. The Nuggets don't have the championship experience. It could be an interesting scenario if they get in. I mean, my biggest problem with that is it when you get in, it seems to run the same risk once again of, in my opinion, AD. Is AD going to be healthy and is AD going to be bubble AD where he's the person that we traded away, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and Lonzo Ball, and the pick that would future end up being Zion Williamson for? Or is he the AD that, you know, his nickname is Street Clothes and <laughs> is on, never seems to never be healthy and it seems like, you know, I would trade my, you know, if I could get two of those players back, I would trade him back. So I think that's probably the biggest question mark is will the Lakers have one consistent scoring threat in LeBron, an aging LeBron, or are they going to actually have a second consistent, if not primary scoring threat in AD? And can they rely on that for multiple seven game series? Um, I'm I'm big on history repeating itself. I, I like to look back and see what happened in the past. So I'm going to go ahead and say that I doubt that's going to happen the same way that I'm not the biggest on with what just happened, which I'm sure we'll get to later with uh, the Suns. Uh, Chris Paul, he's had a history of playoff injuries, just players with histories of injuries in general. They don't seem to turn it around later in their career. It only usually gets worse. So that's my, that's my biggest worry is if, if he can stay healthy, then I, I agree that you have a legitimate shot. But I mean, ch chances are it doesn't seem like he seems to stay healthy for very long ever. So, yeah, I agree with you. If Anthony Davis does get injured in this playoffs, we have to start talking about the Dallas Mavericks making a sign and trade. I think Kyrie Irving and someone else for salary reasons, maybe Christian Wood, 
maybe one of their role players for Anthony Davis, other guys to make it fit. I think it's on the table. You'd see Luka with Anthony Davis. You get Kyrie back in L.A. with LeBron. They go outside and someone else to be their third star on the team. I think it's definitely on the table. One player you mentioned, by the way, Lonzo Ball, ruled out again for the rest of the regular season. Really weird knee injury that's going on, and it's a shame because a lot of people still look at him as this huge bust. And he was playing really well, one of the best defenders in the NBA, shooting high 30% from three when he fixed his form. And people are probably going to forget about it because he's very quickly finding himself in a lot more trouble. So prayers for Lonzo Ball. But you just said we're going to talk about it later in the show. Well, guess what? We're going to go ahead and talk about it right now. We are going to take a look at the Western Conference. Obviously, we know that the Denver Nuggets and the reigning back-to-back MVP and MVP favorite Nikola Jokic are leading that conference. Josh, obviously, like I just said, Denver is leading it. We can probably assume they win this regular season, but who do you think are the teams to watch when we get into the playoffs? Yeah, so I think when things actually do get into the playoffs, Denver still does hold that consistent threat. They uh, haven't done too much moving around of pieces, which I like. Uh, Their main core has stayed together for the most part. Uh, Jamal Murray seems like, I don't know, it looked like to me he had a little bit slower start to the season, but he's coming back into form now a little bit, especially a little bit before the uh, All-Star break. Jokic has been on a tear, damn near averaging. If not, he may actually be averaging. I have to check myself uh, a triple-double. Um, so I'd feel really confident if I were them. They have Michael Porter Jr. still. They, it's not like they're an older team. They have youth. Um, and like I said, the fact that they've been playing together for a little bit, they're a cohesive unit. Um, I, I like them coming out of the West personally. You do have to worry about that KD trade um, going over to Phoenix. But I, they gave away so many players and their bench seems to be running so thin. I start to question that. And again, like I just mentioned, Chris Paul's health. Um, I think without Chris Paul, that squad is a lot less threatening. DeAndre Ayton's had his own problems with the coaching and staff. And he uh, has a little bit of AD syndrome himself, it seems like, where he, you know, if he, want, if he wants to show up, he can be a 25 and 15 guy some nights. And then other nights, it seems like you're not getting more than, you know, 10 and 8 out of them. And that's all you can ask for. So it, it really just depends on, I think, how the Suns uh, end up smashing together after these first few games. That'll People will want to see that. But in terms of uh, a consistent good good, uh, good bet to make, I would put my money on uh, the Denver Nuggets coming out of the West. Broke up a little bit there, but I think you said you got the Denver Nuggets coming out of the West. By the way, DeAndre being a little inconsist- inconsistent, is it safe to say that my intramural basketball skills are sort of like DeAndre Ayton. Cause if my shots not falling, I'm really not giving you much production on the scoreboard. <laughs> That's safe to say. Yeah. I, I don't know what goes on with DeAndre Ayton. I mean, again, it just seems like it's an effort thing to me. I don't know. I, he's a beast when he wants to be <laughs> with you. I think you always wanted to be a beast. It was more so <laughs> skill talent, not being seven foot tall thing, but you had the heart. If, you, if we could put your heart with DeAndre Ayton, Man, 25 and 15 every night. (laughs) (laughs) What's the, oh gosh, what's the movie where they say, if I could put half of your heart in my other players, we'd win every game. I forget what movie it is, and I can't believe I'm, do you know it? Coach Carter? I don't think it's that. Oh, it's it's going to kill me. If you know what movie I'm talking about, let us know in the comments, by the way. I've given my thoughts pretty much ad nauseum about the Western Conference. I'll just give you a very quick synopsis. 
I think Denver still has a lot to prove, specifically Jokic. I understand that this is their healthiest year and their most mature year. And while Jokic has elevated his play in playoffs past, he's a defensive liability in switching scenarios. Look around the other good teams in the Western Conference. They all have wings and guards that he's going to have to be switched on to. That's going to present a big problem in key defensive moments. And Jamal Murray, by the way, he's taken more clutch shots than Jokic this season. What does that mean? He is their go-to guy in the fourth quarter. I'm not sure you can win a championship or at least get to a championship with Jamal Murray as your main scorer in the fourth quarter. Memphis Grizzlies, they're young. Their offensive rating and efficiency are very low considering how good their record is. John Morant, I think, is a little full of himself. I'm in a weird spot with Ja. I don't know if you are as well, and you can go ahead and answer this, but I really loved Ja Morant. Like, I loved watching him at Murray State. I knew about him before he had that back scratcher trying to remember who it was. Was it Marquette? Was it Villanova? It was one of those Big East teams, I think. And then he gets to the NBA. I said he deserved to win Rookie of the Year over Zion. I was a big supporter of his. Now he's just annoying. I I can't really stand him and the Grizzlies, especially Dylan Brooks. Like, Dylan Brooks, I never really loved to begin with, but now he's just flagrantly dirty. I think it's fair to say he might be the dirtiest player in the league now. He looks cleaner, or he looks dirtier than Patrick Beverly, and that's saying something. Yeah, I'm. I, I it's weird. I've had this really hard shift of really, really liking the Grizzlies, and then really not. And it's odd, and it's funny. I don't know if I'm just getting old or something, but I grew up and I'd see you know the old videos of the Bad Boy Pistons. And, you know, I'm excited. I love them. And then AI, he has his braids, and you know everybody's calling him a thug. And I'm like, no, I love it. You know what I mean? I'm eating it up. They just don't get it. And now I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, John Moran just wants to be a thug. <laughs> and, it's, and I'm like, oh gosh, am I getting old? It's 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 funny. It's a little it's it's funny. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, and the you know the Grizzlies are obviously. I'm like, oh, all they want to do is fight. But so I, I don't really know how that's going to serve them. I mean, they definitely have made a few enemies in the West. I think that honestly, it doesn't do them any favors. I think it ha- it kicks in a little bit with the same sort of idea of if you're the number one team, you're going to get everybody's best game. If everyone hates you, I think you're going to probably get one of either their best games or one of their roughest games. So you raise your chances of injury. And I just don't think it really does you any favors. Um, that being said, it is always good to have a chip on your shoulder and be confident. I think there just is a way and a way not to go about it. I actually, I have a sneaky prediction and I think it depends on obviously the standings and how things end up falling out, but I like the Kings over the Grizzlies in a series too. And I like De'Aaron Fox kind of to put his name on the map. I think that De'Aaron Fox is probably been one of the most under-celebrated players in the NBA, definitely in the Western Conference. I mean, we have to remember, he's not, I believe he's one class above uh, John Morant, maybe two, but he's still very young. He should still be in these talks of up-and-coming rising players. And I mean, to be fair, he's in the same class as Jason Tatum, He gets, which, you know, largely overshadowed. But out of a lot of the younger players, such as the Trey Youngs and things like that, you know, the Brandon Ingrams, his name often isn't mentioned with them as much as I think it should be and probably him as well. So I think I'm looking for him to probably make a little bit more notoriety for himself and build a little bit more value for himself in this playoff run probably want to get out of Sacramento too eventually so <laughs> I think that is a great take I'm going to be completely honest by the way Alan Iverson I'm not sure he ever tweeted it's free to see how hollows feel so uh, you know another another point <laughs> against John Morant there other top contenders the Clippers we just spent a lot of time talking about them the Suns we both seem to have the same concerns starting lineup looks great on paper but there are concerns about the motor the leadership the health status the thin bench uh, Mavericks, I think, are the biggest wild card in the conference. Luka got him to the Western Conference Finals pretty much on his own last year. Yeah, he had Jalen Brunson, but Brunson wasn't let off the leash. And he wasn't doing what last year what he's doing in New York right now. If Luka and Kyrie 
you you give Luca the ball for six minutes, take him out. Give Kyrie the ball for six minutes, take him out. Alternate, alternate. If they can perform at a top level and they just get their defense up a little bit, they could easily be in the finals. So that's that's pretty much the review of the West. I, I think it's wide open. Josh likes the Nuggets. Comment, let us know what you like. Switching on over to the Eastern Conference, we know that the Boston Celtics, they are leading over here, but they're only a half game of the Milwaukee Bucks. That's something people don't really seem to be talking about. Now, Giannis sprained his wrist right before the All-Star game. Good news, he avoided serious damage. He should be back pretty soon. Three games behind the Celtics are the 76ers. Five games behind the Celtics are the Cavs. And then you've got the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks as the last two teams right now guaranteed to make the playoffs and avoid the play-in. I'm guessing that you might are probably going to like one of those top three teams. It seems like that's what everybody likes, the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Sixers. Well, go ahead and tell me who you're looking at to get to the NBA Finals out of this conference. Yeah, so it's my opinion that the East is actually a little bit more wide open, so I guess we're a little bit on opposites there. Um, I definitely off, you know, just at first glance, my first pick is actually to roll with the 76ers. Why? Um, honestly, similar reasons that I feel like um, De'Aaron Fox is probably going to make a decent run with the Kings in this playoffs. I think that the Sixers will finally get over the hump and make it to the finals. Um, they are finally, it seems like, have got all the pieces together and aren't really getting the credit for it, which for once might be good for them. They're usually the overhyped team. They're usually the favorite team that, even though they're in second or third, they're favorited to come out of the East. And that's not really the energy around them this year, and I think better so. Um, Joel Embiid has something to fight for with the, you know, if you think that he was a snub in terms of the way all-star weekend went and him looking like he probably won't get the MVP again this year. Um, James Harden has a lot to, he has been proving a lot, but hasn't been getting a credit for it. In my opinion of he can be, or I don't even want to say a role player, but a key player that doesn't have to have the ball 24 seven or be the primary scorer on a team. Um, I believe he's averaging somewhere near 10 assists a game. He's had a few triple doubles, which I don't think we expected to see too much out of him unless they were with, you know, 50 points and then maybe just barely 10 and 10 on the other two. Whereas, you know, now we're seeing closer to, you know, 22, 14 and 12 and things like that. And it's it's made me happy because I think that, you know, although he may not have that exact same motor, he still is the shooter, I believe, and hasn't gone down deep dark pit. I believe that when we see a playoff run, we're going to see that the 76ers have a little bit more depth than the other teams. And uh, even though their defense isn't, you know, that of the Cavaliers or the Bucks, uh, with the extra scoring threats and the extra experience and uh, more playoff experience that they have on their roster versus a team like the Cavs, let's say, um, I think that that's going to be what gets them over the hump. Uh, I think their biggest threat to stop that is probably just with the way they match up. Drew Holiday to Harden and then uh, Giannis to Joel Embiid. Bucks are probably the biggest threat to them. But uh, I think that the East is a lot more wide open and a lot of things could happen. I'm big on the 76ers just like you, and maybe their defense isn't quite as good as the best defense in the league, but they're still top five in defensive rating. So they certainly have a good chance of holding, of locking down those Celtics wings and Giannis, Middleton, Holiday, and the Bucks. The Cavaliers, for me, are a bit of a wild card in this conference. I talked about it on the Locks of Saturday podcast. Go check that out on Spotify if you missed my appearance. Shout out to Sam Jesse for having me on. The Cavaliers, I think, 
when you look at them on paper and you look at their numbers and you just look at the names on their roster, you think, wow, this team is pretty great. This actually looks like a finals team and people don't seem to be talking about it. The problem is I don't like how they match up with any of these teams, really, because if you play the Celtics, you've got two small guards in Garland and Mitchell. One of them is going to have to guard Jalen Brown. You're going to send maybe Okoro or you can bring someone in off the bench. And when that happens, it's probably going to be Levert. They're guarding Tatum. That's not going to go well. Then you play, or if you play the Bucks, you're going to have Evan Mobley guarding Giannis. He's a great interior defender, but he's a little too light for Giannis. If Giannis, Giannis lures him outside, he's just a lot faster than Mobley. That's going to be a problem. You could switch Jared Allen on him, but then you've got no interior presence. And then with the 76ers, you do have those big guys, but I don't think either one of them are as crafty as Joel Embiid. We know he's going to be able to get his. And Harden has proven that, like you said, he's having a great year. People just aren't talking about it. He's averaging nearly 11 assists per game, shooting 39% from three, scoring 22 a night. I just don't think the matchups for Cleveland are any good, which is really sad because I think they're an awesome team. By the way, one thing I would absolutely love to see, and I know it's cliche, you put LeBron James back on this Cavaliers team, they win the finals. I'm just going to put that out there. But I'm like you. I think the 76ers are 100% a team to watch. My pick is still going to be the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis, I believe, is the best player in the world. The Bucks, to me, are the most consistent team of the bunch. But I do think that if one team is going to take them down, it will be the 76ers, not the Celtics, like most people are predicting. And I believe sportsbooks have the Celtics as the favorite to win the title. Uh, so I'm not totally sure about that, but I do believe that's the case. So if that is the case, we are fading the sports books. And I just checked. They are the favorite to win on looking at FanDuel right now at plus 280. The Bucks are plus 430 and the Suns are plus 450. So you said you like the 76ers and the Nuggets. They have the fourth and sixth best odds respectively. So not a total upset from you, but you're going slightly against the grain with your picks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, I think the biggest question on the Western Conference is does the Nuggets regular season team show up to the playoffs as well? Um, If so, then it's a pretty easy, smooth ride. And I I think it's pretty obvious that they make it out. Um, But with the addition of AD to the Suns, obviously that shakes things up a lot. And then Kyrie to the Mavs as well. Um, But those teams are both going to take time to mesh. So again, I like to just rely on that cohesiveness of the unit. I think the biggest question mark isn't even going to be in Jokic. We know what Jokic can do and what he's worth. It's going to be Jamal Murray um, and Michael Porter Jr. holding their weight, I believe, uh, in, in the scoring and keeping up. Uh, in terms of the Eastern Conference Finals, I, I like what you had to say about the Cavs a lot, too. Again, my biggest fear just with those teams that are kind of more low scoring or get a lot of their points in the paint, such as the Bucks and the Cavs, is you can just build a wall. I mean, we've, we've seen the build a wall strategy work against Giannis um, already once before now. And so that's what I fear, you know, when the Bucks go up against a team like the 76ers who do have a decent big or just I mean, they don't even have to be a scoring threat or decent big, just a real a real bonafide big you know not like the Cavaliers um then you can just sort of build that wall and it's going to give the Bucks some trouble but as far as the Western Conference goes I yeah I really just see the Denver Nuggets coming out of it as long as they just stay consistent I, I, I guess that's the biggest thing is as long as there's no no curveballs no major curveballs I don't realistically see the Suns staying healthy due to Chris Paul that's if I was a betting man and I am that's just the way things have gone and um, Kyrie, I love him. You know, I'm a Kyrie, I'm a big Kyrie voucher, but from what we've seen in the very short, short time they've had together so far, I'm not sure that that unit is going to get it together in time for the playoffs. Not saying they can't, 
but um, they're going to have to definitely figure out something rotationally. I don't think it's wise to have Kyrie and Luca in most of the game together at the same time, but then at the same time, you also definitely need them both in in any clutch scenarios. So It's going to be fun to watch, that's for sure. Listen, I hope you're right about the Nuggets, and I honestly, I'm not a Nuggets fan, but I hope they win the title because Nikola Jokic is on track to win his third straight MVP. If he does do that, he will be the fourth player in NBA history to win three straight MVPs. He will be the first since Larry Bird and the two other people who have done it, Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell. That's the company that Nikola Jokic will be in if the this prediction, the projections hold. And let me tell you, they are strong. On a lot of sites, he's around the minus 260, minus 280 mark to win the MVP. Joel Embiid is the closest guy, the closest competitor. He's around plus 200, plus 300, depending on where you're looking. After that, you've got the usual suspects. You've got Tatum, Ja, Luka, LeBron, KD. None of them realistically have a chance. It's going to be Jokic or if Embiid has a monster second, second or second, third, no, third third of the season, then maybe he can make up some ground. But let me start with you. The viewers know my beef with Jokic. Not even my beef with Jokic. It's a beef with history. It's a beef with precedent. I don't think that we are within our right minds to make this the first guy to win three straight MVPs since Larry Bird. I've gotten a bunch of criticism from my lovely followers on YouTube or my lovely watchers. Um, shout out to the guy who told me that I should be embarrassed and ashamed of myself and I should delete my podcast for saying something so ludicrous and silly. Hope you're watching this episode as well. What do you think about Jokic? Again, he's most likely going to win this award. Do you think it's justified if he does win? And who would have your pick if you were the sole MVP voter? Okay, well, before I get to Jokic, I want to touch on your main beef with this, which is precedent. So you said that there were only three players before this to ever win the award, two of which make a lot of sense, one of which doesn't. You have Wilt Chamberlain, the person who scored triple digits, the only person, the only man to have ever scored triple digits in a professional basketball game and was going as a surname as a 16-year-old in high school, averaging 30 points in a professional league, probably deserves three in a row. You have Bill Russell the most winningest champion of across any major sporting league or at least us that i'm aware of with 11 11 championships and and obviously by by default in basketball as well makes sense and then you have larry bird larry me, bird just, is basketball than carmelo anthony listen to all the viewers out there i've known josh for a while <laughs> this is a take that he will live and die by. Say it again one more time for the people, Josh. And please feel free to respond in the comments, especially whoever wanted the show to get deleted. You should probably, you're probably going to need to delete it yourself at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Bird is not, has not, and couldn't ever dream of being better than Carmelo Anthony. Larry Bird when Brandon Ingram first started coming into who he was as a player on the Pelicans. And it was like, oh, no, now they have Zion, but Brandon Ingram just started playing well. That's probably how threatening Larry Bird would be in today's league. A rising star. They were playing against grocery baggers, and I will die on this. Firemen. It was, it was the 80s and the 90s. Tired from climbing ladders and saving kittens the nights before. They weren't playing defense. 
<laughs> like so it's it's ridiculous to me that people hear somebody played a basketball game and scored over 30 points with their left hand and they look at it as a compliment he wasn't left-handed he probably couldn't neatly write his name with his left hand that has to do with the his quality of defender was worse than a loose leaf paper <laughs> he had to struggle more against that like it's it, it, it's unfathomable so i'll touch on that I say all that to say, and not nearly by to the same extension, does Jokic not deserve it? Because Jokic is a far better play basketball player than Larry Bird. But that being said, it's just the same logic of, like you said, the precedent. If LeBron James has been to as many finals in a row as he simply has, if Michael Jordan went undefeated in finals for as long as he did, if Kobe Bryant had the stretch of being scoring leader as long as he did, there's there's pockets of three to four years runs the amazing great players with great spotless careers that have the full resume all together for where if you feel like you need to owe them one from the past or whatever the reasoning may be to where there's about probably I'd say five to seven more players you could make a decent argument for could have gotten a three-peat by now the fact that like you said that it's Nikola Jokic I think it's just disrespectful to the other. It's disrespectful to a Kobe Bryant. It's disrespectful to a Shaquille O'Neal. It's disrespectful to, I mean, even a Tim Duncan one can maybe make an argument for it some at one point in time. I mean, it's, it's LeBron James, certainly. I mean, it's just, I, I personally don't understand. I mean, I guess the idea behind it is it's fixed for the future now, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I disagree with it personally. Did you say that Nikola Jokic is also better than Larry Bird? He is. <laughs> Why? What is your beef with Larry Bird, man? Like, what? It's what not, do you? I don't even have a problem with Larry Bird himself. It's what everybody else made Larry Bird out to be, and I had no problem with constantly walking around myself saying, "Yeah, Larry Bird's one of the best basketball players of all time." And I'm arguing it one day, and then I go to look up his statistics. And he certainly was not, because first of all, again, the level of competition he was even playing against, I have it pulled up right now. Larry Bird, on career, for most of you who don't know, which I'm sure is most of you who think he's a top five player all time, averaged 24, 10, and 6. 24, 10, and 6. That's How great. many people in the league are averaging 24, 10, and 6 right now? Uh, one, Jokic? Uh, let's, well... Luca's close. He's not quite at 10, I don't think. I think it's just Jokic and Luca. Okay, we are back from a research break. We're looking at the players who have those numbers. It is really only Jokic who has that. Luca is very close. LeBron's not super close, but he's not terribly far off. He's giving you 30 points a night, seven assists, eight rebounds. So Larry Bird, to disrespect 24, 10, and 6 for a career. We've got to keep in mind, he had back problems at the end of his career. He had one year where he averaged 39 and 6. He had another year where he averaged 29, 11, and 7. You are disrespecting one of the best players of all time. I mean, here's the thing that you also have to keep in mind is who were his teammates. Not only was he playing against the grocery baggers, he had the only other legitimate basketball players on his team. I don't know what really you would want out of a player in that position other than to score a copious amount of points if he's supposed to be a great shooter for his time, which for his time, yeah, he was a great shooter. But again, if he was playing in nowadays NBA, he's just not that same guy. 
by any means in any stretch of the margin. I don't think that he's getting through the defenses. You can go back and look at the tapes back then. I mean, they play, they, they considered press defense, you still standing away a foot and a half from the guy. It was like there was one or the other. They're either punching you in the face or they're air hugging you and leaving room for Jesus. I don't realistically see how anybody is going to sit here and tell me that anything that went on in basketball before 1990 stands today as like a, as, as a legitimate thing i mean i just it's like, that's like going back i mean again it's like, it's like the same what are you going to tell me next that dennis rodman is a would, would would still average the same defensive stats in today's league yeah he would also foul out in the second quarter like it's 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 like i don't it's it's just unarguable it's if if you want to say that somebody averaging 24 points back then is equally as impressive as somebody even averaging 16 points nowadays then sure i mean i just I don't see how you can make that argument again, especially when we sit here and we say all day that shooting wasn't prevalent and he was the best shooter. If shooting wasn't prevalent and he was the best shooter. So if he's best at doing an uncommon thing, don't you think that it's probably not going to be super common that people know how to defend it as well? Well, I mean, it's just everything from the play style at the time, his teammates, I mean, he had Mikhail on his squad. That Celtics, that whole lineup are like all-stars. I'm pretty sure in the hall of fame, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't see. I mean, it's just it's 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 unfat. I'm not positive that Larry Bird could dunk from past the block. And somebody tells me that he's the best. I I don't want to have the Spud Webb. Spud <laughs> Webb was pound for pound a better basketball player than Larry Bird. All right, enough, enough. Look, Larry Bird. Listen, I will say in this era of extreme athleticism, a lot of the arguments of older great players transcending eras. Like, let's look at someone. We can look at. Michael Jordan, obviously, since LeBron just broke the scoring record, people are having that GOAT debate. But we can look at older players like someone like a David Thompson, a guy who was really athletic for his era. If you brought him into the modern game with modern science and technology, yes, those players would improve. They would catch up with the current era. Like Carl Malone was the first big man and really the first basketball player to really go hard in the weight room. If you gave Kareem Abdul-Jabbar today's eating and weightlifting regiments, Maybe he could have played even longer. Maybe he could have been even better. Sure. I get those arguments. But Larry Bird, and this is the only point of credit I'm giving you because I have Larry Bird as a top eight. I'm having this is off the top of my head, but a top eight player of all time. Larry Bird with a modern eating, you know, diet and, and weightlifting regimen, it's not really going to change a whole lot because he was so unathletic. Now, granted, there are guys who are rather unathletic, a la Jokic. Luka Doncic even to an extent so maybe he could have survived in this era but I do think it would have been different for him if nothing else but I cannot get on board when I'm not even going to address the Spud Webb thing I know you're just doing that for jokes I cannot get on board with Carmelo Anthony being a better player than him I'm sorry and by the way 1990 you said you don't count anything before 1990 in 1990 Larry Bird averaged 24 points 10 rebounds eight assists shooting 47% from the field, 93% from the free throw line. This is clearly one of the best players we've ever seen. I mean, how many – I mean, okay, if we just want to go by points, Carmelo Anthony's had how many seasons averaging over 24 points a game with, what, Amon Shumpert playing Robin for him? I mean, I, like, it's like, again, it, who were on those Celtics team? If Carmelo Anthony had – imagine, imagine if we could say that the time during Carmelo Anthony was on the Knicks, it was – he also had – four or out of like the seven greatest Knicks of all time also with him. 
I bet he would average a, a couple more rebounds. And a, if Patrick Ewing in his prime was his center for Carmelo Anthony and, and Amari Stoudemire was playing power forward in his prime, I don't think. And you know what? Let's just take Lynn Sanity and make that his career stats. Let, and, and let's put all those together and mellow with the three. And then, you know, yeah, we'll just put an average Joe with the two to bounce out. I'm sure the Celtics had one random average Joe out there with him. Like, what are we talking about here? It's not even debatable. It's not even close to debatable. Carmelo Anthony is playing against prime, prime LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. Look at the competition. Who is he playing? The bad boy Pistons. There's one team that was considered another good team during that run. Michael Jordan wasn't even that good considered. We don't even start watching what he was doing until the 90s. I mean, like, what? Where was the threat? Where was the? Who did he beat? Where was they were the they were the Goliath or they were the you know fire hit fire. Nobody knows what's gonna happen. They had seven all stars. They're two all stars on their bench. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just not even like. Is it, I don't see how you can even start to make that argument again. Give me prime Patrick Ewing and put him with Carmelo Anthony and then tell me the results of that and then I will concede my argument. But, it, it, I mean, it, he just has the Celtics super team also just so happened to be when he played. What do you think is going to be his stats? What do you mean it's not, deba- it's not debatable in your favor? Do you, Here's some of the players that were playing in 1986 when Larry Bird was winning three straight MVPs. Dominique Wilkins, you ever heard of him? How about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Hakeem Olajuwon, Moses Malone? Have you heard of any of these players? Isaiah Thomas, Charles Barkley, James Worthy, Magic Johnson. Tell me how many of those players you have ranked over Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Stephen Wardell Curry. (laughs) What are we talking about here? Look. You wouldn't rank a single one of those players over anybody I just named. I'm 100% putting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar over all of them except for LeBron. You're putting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. What? No, stop. Stop right now because this is something we didn't prepare for in, in pre-production. So I'm not prepared to have this conversation. You, you're, you're telling me Carmelo Anthony's better than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? I'm telling you Kobe Bryant is. <laughs> okay, that's a little more forgivable. It's still wrong. Do, do I need to – do I need to – listen – Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has an argument that he is the greatest basketball player ever from start to finish. He was the greatest high school player of all time. He was the greatest college player of all time. He was the greatest professional player in his generation. And he is unquestionably one of the three best. It's him, Jordan, and LeBron as the three best ever. Does Wilt, did Wilt Chamberlain die and never exist? What? <laughs> you have Wilt Chamberlain in your – what is – Wilt Chamberlain's Wilt in your Chamberlain top three? Wilt is a better – all-time basketball player, Wilt Chamberlain was literally going under a surname averaging over 30 points a game in a men's professional league at age 16. Don't tell me about Kareem. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had one of the best careers longevity-wise. A lot of it had to do, and a lot of it had to do, if his stats had to do with how long he played, the fact that simply nobody thought anybody would ever play long enough to even catch that record. No. See, Kareem won six MVPs. That's not a longevity thing. They had to outlaw dunking because he was so dominant. Do you know what happened when Kareem went to UCLA? He lost two career college games. Your freshmen freshmen weren't allowed to play on the varsity team back at that time. 
UCLA won the national championship Kareem's freshman year. I almost said rookie year. His freshman year. Do you know what Kareem did leading the team of freshmen in a in an in-practice scrimmage against the varsity team? He beat them. He beat the national champions as a freshman. Then he wins three national championships when he can actually play. He goes to the NBA, wins six finals. He has six MVPs. He made 19 all-star teams. He has the most unstoppable shot ever. He was the all-time leading scorer until last week. Kareem is not just a longevity player. Kareem was the most dominant player, arguably, ever when he was at his best. When he was at his best, I mean... Yeah, sure, when he was at his best, but he wasn't at his best for very long. I mean, there were, he, in his later years, he started to fade. He was much more of a scorer. He started to lose his threat a little bit in the paint, which, fine. I mean, again, more you're scoring 20 points a game. Nobody's upset with you for that ever. My point is, if you're, score, if you're the person who's scoring 20 points a game and you just so happen to have an 18-year career without hardly missing a single game, then you're going to end up with a Kareem, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar-esque career. Just by default, I feel. I mean, again, look at LeBron. Everybody loves to hate on LeBron, but I mean, just look at what's happened. And a lot of it is based on longevity. And I asked, so I, I asked those same people, well, then what's more important? Is it is what's more impressive to you, I guess? Is it the person who plays 18 years and averages 20 or the person who plays 10 years and averages 28? In my opinion, I'm 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 I don't I'm not comparing Kareem to Kobe. I, I'm taking Kobe over Kareem all day. It was a different era, it was a different time. Kareem was definitely pivotal to what he did. Super important. Again, I just look at when was the highest level of competition ever? Current today. Is Kareem doing then what he did in today's NBA? No, yes. not even close. Yes. Uh, I 100%. He, listen, these are his stats. His rookie year, 29 and 15. Next year, 32 and 16. 35 and 17. 30 and 16, 27 and 15, 30 and 14, 28 and 17, 26 and 13, 26 and 13, 24 and 13. This is not somebody who just scored 20 points a game for 20 years. This was one of the most dominant players of all time. You have never looked at Kareem's stats. I know it because what I just said is you can't talk about that. Someone's giving you 34 and 16 and he wasn't that good in his prime. No way. He's going out there and he's being one of the best players in the league, if not the best player today. Was the most profitable grocery store in 1970? What are we doing? Was, was that was that would you rather would you rather be the owner of that or be the owner of an average grocery store with self-checkout now where you have no employees? I would rather because be the owner back then. Those, those 1970s grocery stores, they were getting off and they were going to go hoop after on some Tropic Thunder. That's why. <laughs> that's what I have to say about it. I mean, you just can't look at the level. We're, we're, all right, let's be honest about it, Grant. We're track runners. We know. We, we've seen the, uh, just from a pure – and track runners are the healthiest people typically. So it's going to be incrementally the smallest amounts of like giant leaps and bounds over the years of just natural human evolution. So if we're track runners and we know how far tracks advanced from the 70s and the level of quality of talent and what they were doing then, and they were supposed to be the healthy ones to now. I mean, for God's sake, when Magic Johnson joined the league and when the Lakers were first bought, the league was in trouble from everybody going from going under from half the players having a drug problem like it's i'm not, I'm not gonna sit here and credit the guy who's scoring on a bunch of drug addicts 25 a game like if i was seven foot tall and sober i probably would too <laughs> like.
That's all it took. It's he. He had. He was a man of faith. He had Allah. I, like a I, 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 Like that's all I have to say about it. I'm Muslim as well. I know the power of it. It's just <laughs> that. That's really what it comes down to. If you ask me, Inshallah, God willing, he scored those baskets. It was against drug addicts. I don't. I'm not gonna be impressed. Kobe Bryant scored 81 points in modern time NBA. We saw it. Colored television existed. I'm not sure that a single game Kareem played was for the Bucks was ever in color. <laughs> it's just I'm not grocery bagging drug addicts. I don't know. What do you want me to say? All right, all right, all right, all right. Listen, <laughs> when are you when are you changing your name? When are you getting your Muslim name? I I mean I don't know. I gotta come up with it first. I I, I, haven't, I haven't selected yet. I gotta go to. I gotta make my hot. I don't know. <laughs> all right, listen. I didn't expect us to go for a full hour talking about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar versus Kobe and certainly not Larry Bird versus Carmelo Anthony and Nikola Jokic versus Larry Bird, but that's probably going to do it for us here. I need some time to rest and recover. Drop a comment if you enjoyed listening to Josh on today's episode, and maybe we'll have him back. I am not willing to hand the show over to him or change the name for him, but maybe we'll see featuring Josh Fox in another title. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Look forward to seeing you on the next show. Again, we are on Spotify and YouTube. Check this out wherever you prefer, and we will see you soon. Thank you so much.